The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. Alright Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello everybody, welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 317, coming to you on Wednesday, June 19th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football as we have entered three-star season. USC with a bunch of three-star commits. We're going to talk about it, get to your reactions, and so much more here on this episode, including a big mailbag full of emails. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are a day late, I guess you could say. Maybe. We... We've not been consistently posting on a specific day, so maybe it doesn't count. Uh, but I was on vacation last week. I went to Nashville, also stopped in Alabama and Kentucky. And Alicia, I went to Western Kentucky. I, I had to see what it was all about. And I was surprised there was no sign that said USC coaches made here. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, is your transfer to the Western Kentucky... Uh, Reign of Western Kentucky podcast going through anytime soon? It's not official yet. We were just having preliminary discussions. Gotcha. Um, I, I, I did tweet out that I was I was there to catch up with Tyson Helton, which for some reason immediately got like retweeted by Western Kentucky bloggers. Uh, and then I'm like, yeah, I need to delete this tweet because I have a check mark and people are going to think that this is real. So <laughs> I need to delete it. Your your brand of humor didn't quite translate over to the Western Kentucky folks. No, but I, I will say Bowling Green, Kentucky, A, is in the middle of nowhere, but B, is a cool little town. Like, I had maybe the best fish and chips of my life there at this little brewery, the uh, the White Squirrel Brewery in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. It was awesome. For one, that is a horribly named brewery with a horrible mascot. 
And yeah, I, two, I sent you. I sent you a picture of it. it you was, did. You you reveled in sending me a picture guy. of it. In fact, uh, number two, this is me literally right now at this very moment finding out that Bowling Green is in Kentucky. Well, no, there's two Bowling Greens. Is it a there's, different Bowling Green? There's a Bowling Green, Kentucky, and there's Bowling Green, which is in Ohio. And so I was I was joking with my family. It would be funny if there was a sign that said, "Not that other Bowling Green." Or the Bowling Green. Yeah, not not the Bowling Green. This is Bowling Green, Kentucky. Well, this is also me finding out that Bowling Green is in Ohio. So, where do you think Either it was? Either way, I had no idea. I just knew Bowling Green was somewhere. Yep. Yeah, fun fact: Bowling Green, Kentucky, is the third biggest city in the state of Kentucky. Sorry, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Really? Yeah. After Ken- uh, Louisville and uh, Lexington. Those are the only other two cities in kentucky that i was aware of so you don't know the capital of kentucky i was never good with the capitals oh come on it's frankfurt oh okay yeah that was one of the ones i never got i i had to do florida in uh in my state my the state that i was assigned was florida so i know tallahassee mm-hmm. and otherwise meh i'm i'm really good with state capitals i do get some mixed up like vermont and new hampshire which i get vermont and new hampshire mixed up in general they might They're as well be the same state. They they well they used to be the same state. Um, <laughs> they used to be Vermont or they used to be New Hampshire. I don't know. I don't remember because I get the two mixed up. But they used to be one state. Now they're two, and I can't tell you which is which. One is Montpelier and one is Concord. I think it's Concord, New Hampshire, and Mount Pillar, Vermont. But I might be wrong. That sounds about right. But I'm also not the person to fact check you on that. So mm-hmm. all right, all right. But speaking of fact checks. That's what you're doing, fact-checking USC's history over on Patreon with these uh, Throwback Thursday pods, which have been really good. We've been getting some good feedback, including one recently about Sunny Bird, the Sunny Bird era at USC. Yeah, that was a request from uh, from someone on Twitter asking about doing a Throwback Thursday on Sunny Bird, and I ended up falling into it, as I do, and I had a lot of fun putting it together. So yeah, this is one of my new favorite off-season endeavors that I've been doing. I now have a probably five or six that are on my on my board now that I'm trying to get together and get going as far as uh, doing more of these but it's been really fun to put them together for the website and also be able to go a little bit more in depth on the Patreon uh not just getting into the story that I write for com, but getting into my mindset getting into the broader uh, impact and and implications of the stories basically that I'm finding uh with with these throwbacks so it's been a lot of fun I mean the I'm I'm a history buff. Like I I find weird and intriguing history really really interesting. So maybe I find it more interesting than other people. But there are some really weird and random and interesting and fascinating and telling stories in USC lore that like I certainly don't know about. And I've I've been following USC since the early 2000s. And I, I like I said I'm into the history of the program. So I've done the basic kind of research I'm aware of, of stuff from the past, but there's a lot of these stories that are just like would have never known anything about any of them, if not for, you know, browsing newspapers.com and going deep diving. So sharing some of that with the, with the peoples has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Some people get subscriptions to Spotify, Hulu, um, Apple music, and, you know, they geek out about all the things that you can watch or listen on there. No, not 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 you. you. You get newspapers.com and you're like, oh my god, I found this new thing. Can you believe it? 
Oh my god, no, but seriously, it's the best subscription I've ever had, ever. The best thing I've ever paid for in my life is this new newspaper.com subscription. And honestly, like, I'm finding so many, like, for instance, for instance, on Tuesday, the day that we're recording this, I came across an article from 1983 in the LA Times whose headline was, USC develops balanced attack. No run, no pass. Like, how great is that? Like, does not that like that feels like it could apply to uh, to 2018? <laughs> are, are we sure that this wasn't like ghost written by Clay Helton, like when he was in like middle school or something? I mean, I was gonna say Clay Helton approved. It it certainly was balanced, but uh, yeah, yeah. There's just all sorts of rant. Like newspapers way back when were so much more fun than they are now. So I like I'm seriously geeking out about some of these little tidbits. And if and if people are interested in some of the tidbits that I find, um, every day on com we're doing a countdown to the season, right? So uh, every day, however many days are left, that's the number jersey that I'm looking at, uh, past, present, and future. And so a lot of the sort of looking into the past thing is me diving through random newspaper.com things and finding random stories uh, like, you know, what John McKay had to say about Marvin Powell being as good as Ron Yeri and about, um, you know, Ron Yeri himself being this, you know, crazy, athletic, amazing person. Um, I just finished writing one about Tony Slayton, who was, you know, the freak athlete at center that they were talking about how he was doing the impossible blocking, snapping the ball and then going one on one against nose tackles, like all sorts of little tidbitty things from the past uh, that uh, are I, I find very interesting. So if people are interested in those, go check them out on randomshore.com. Yeah, I think the 80s might be one of the most interesting years, or sorry, decades for USC football. Everyone remembers the, the dominance of the 70s. Everyone remembers the futility of the 90s. The 80s were a weird mixture of it all. They There were so many good players in the 80s. There's Tons. a bunch. A bunch. But there were also had, like some weird seasons like, you like know, 83. like 1987 or something, or 83, yeah. 83, they went 4, 6, and 1. Like it was, it was not, again. They had a balanced office. They couldn't run and they couldn't pass, but they had great players. Like Jack Del Rio was on that team. Tony Slayton yep. was on that team. You know, Marcus Allen's in eight, 1981. Like USC's teams in the 80s were actually very good. The talent that was coming out of there was crazy, but they have nothing to show for it. I mean, not that they don't have anything to show for it. There are a couple Rose Bowl wins in there, but like they don't have a national title to show for that decade. Right. Larry Smith came along at the end. And brought USC back to relevance and then just tore it all down a few years later. But yeah, it was an interesting little little decade for USC football. We'll talk about it more here on the website, I guess, as we go forward. com, and so much more on the Patreon stuff that we're putting out. Patreon.com slash Troy, where you can get all of our bonus episodes, including Alicia's Throwback Thursday podcast and her second and short show, along with us talking with Takes with Jake. We're going to record another Takes with Jake episode next week. Also, Alicia, we have a podcast announcement. I just remembered this. We didn't write it in the rundown. We, we should probably mention this. Oh, yeah. You mean the thing we have planned coming up shortly? Yeah. 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 July 12th, Friday, July 12th, we're going to have a meetup. Right for a meetup. Yeah, with our pals from the West Bruin Show. Yeah, we're doing some crosstown friendliness, crosstown uh, friendly rivalry meetup. Let's call it the crosstown meetup. Sure, that works. Uh, we're, we'll announce the venue probably next week. We have an idea of where we're going to have it. Uh, not a hundred percent sure, um, but yeah, mark your calendars. July twelfth, Friday night. 
uh, USC UCLA meetup with our pals from the What's Bruin show, which means you guys need to show up to make sure that, you know, Rain of Troy's listenership is represented and USC fans are not outnumbered. Yeah, we got to have more Cardinal and Gold there than the powder blue of the Bruins. Yeah. Don't let Can't us down, guys. Fight. Can't lose that fight at all. July 12th, Friday, Sugar Calendars now. And again, Patreon episodes are at patreon.com slash rate of Troy. Subscribe for as little as 555 and get all of our bonus episodes. Plus, if you subscribe at the 555 or the $10 level, you get a sticker in the mail along with a little thank you note from Alicia. Yeah, and my hand is uh, is currently aching from writing several of those out. Not quite done yet because some of the news that's, that we're about to come up with uh, in the news segment coming up got in the way of my signing session. So that happens. Yep. 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 We'll start with a couple of new signees up next with the news. We'll be right back. So let's start with a little inside baseball stuff. We recorded last week's episode on Monday. It went live on Wednesday. And somewhere in between there, uh, Brew McCoy and Chris Steele were officially added to USC's roster. We had gotten a question on the podcast about when will it go official? And should we be worried? Should USC fans be worried about it not going through yet? And we answered on the episode, and then right before the thing published, it came out that their um, that their additions to USC and their enrollment at USC had gone through. So I went back and scrubbed it out of the episode, and you never heard it because the news had changed. But yeah, Brew McCoy, Chris Steele, officially Trojans once again. Yeah, it's good to have it official. Uh, it just hanging out there, even though... Everyone knew it was going to happen. It was pretty much set in stone. It wasn't quite set in stone yet. Needed uh, needed that official seal of USC tweeting out the announcement that uh, that both had been added to the class. So it's going to be good to see them once fall camp comes around and we'll actually get to see them in Cardinal and Gold. Uh, you would expect at least. You never know. But, but they are of, as official as they can possibly be, which I guess you'll take if you're a USC fan at this point. Yeah, super official, I would say, and that's a good thing for the Trojans. I'll stay on the recruiting side of it and talk about the future stuff, 2020 and 2021. SC got three commitments from three-star recruits this past week, and which means we're in the heart of three-star season, which has Twitter all riled up, and we're going to talk about that and what that means. But uh, the three guys are three-star offensive linemen slash defensive linemen, Kyle Jurgens. He's the 81st-ranked offensive guard in the 2020 class. A three-star offensive tackle, Joey Wright, 6'6", 297. He's ranked 103rd as an offensive tackle in the class of 2020. And then for 2021, Beltre Jefferson, the 52nd-ranked wide receiver in the 2021 class, 6'4", 195. All three of those guys committed to USC in the last few days. Coming out of these camps... Obviously, must have performed well enough to get an offer and get a commitment. Alicia, before we get into the whole three stars discussion, what's your what's your thought on those pickups? 
Yeah, they're, they're guys who impressed USC's coaches at the camps. Uh, so there are guys that USC's coaches have seen in person and are not being evaluated based on their star ranking, first and foremost. Uh, Kyle uh, Jurgens is, I think, interesting. He has apparently been a, a you know dream dream of going to USC, so it's always good to see when those guys are able to make their commitment. He's a little undersized, though, for what USC apparently wants him for, which whether it's offensive or, or defensive line, uh, he's going to need to bulk up quite a bit. But that's not unusual when you see these guys coming out of high school. Uh, he's got the, the frame that you want. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how he develops in his senior season, which side of the ball he lands on. Uh, Joey Wright is the really, really one of the really intriguing ones at 6'6", almost 300 pounds going into his senior season. This is exactly the kind I put this on Twitter. This is exactly the kind of athlete that you take a chance on when you offer him in June. Um, he's sort of flying under the radar, but at that size, at that frame, he's also a basketball player. So, you know, he's got decent footwork and athleticism. You may be maybe hoping you got a diamond in the rough there, and I think you definitely take a chance on the size at the very least. Um, Veltre Jefferson is very much in the same boat, although he's obviously a year earlier down the line uh, at six four one ninety five. Yeah, sure, you give me, you give him a you give him a shout at, and and see what he can do in the last two years of his high school career because again, you can't teach that kind of size, and uh, when they bring athleticism to the table along with six four at wide receiver. You know what? It's it seems to me that it's worth a uh, you know worth a punt, uh, as they say in uh, in soccer. Worth the punt sounds like uh, you know a little bit different than what I would think it would mean in America. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I uh, my, the Britishisms that I bring into my football commentary sometimes don't make a lot of sense, and that's one of them. But yeah, worth worth a punt is is you know when you. Instead of punting the ball to give the ball away in American football, in, in soccer, mm-hmm. you punt it forward to see if your forward can get on the end of it. So it's, a, it's like a speculative shot. Yeah, it's like a Hail Mary. Yeah, okay. Uh, that works. Uh, let's talk about these three star commitments in a general sense. Because, per usual, the yearly thing, USC fans not happy on Twitter. Um, why is why are we settling for three star recruits? This is what Clay Helton does. He only recruits three stars. You know, completely ignoring that Brew McCoy and Chris Steele just got signed a week ago. Um, what what's wrong with the SC's talent disparity? Blah blah blah, and all those things you can possibly think of. I am so over it, Alicia. I cannot begin to tell you. How the lack of of a contextualized discussion about three star recruits is the bane of my existence on the internet. It really is. I'm tired of it. I'm I'm tired. Mostly because it's the same thing every single year, and we make the same arguments, and there's just nothing changes. Nothing changes. Here's the deal, folks. A there's eight months until signing day. Calm down. B, these are guys who are at camp. They impress. You throw an offer their way. They commit. It's before their senior season. Things can change. Nothing is locked in stone. Who cares? If if they end up you know, being diamonds in the rough, great. Uh, if not, things will work themselves out. Let, the, let these guys get an opportunity. Number three... Yeah, you want SC to have four and five star recruits 
and you know have 20 commitments like Alabama does right now, I think 18 of them being blue chippers, you want that from USC, you're not going to get that with a 5-7 and seven record. you got to win some games first. So I, I don't get it. I, I don't get the outrage here. Let things breathe. Just don't take everything too seriously. That's kind of where I like there. I have a lot of I'm with you on pretty much everything you said. The other side of it for me that I look at and maybe this is because I'm like an overly empathetic kind of person, but I always think about like, okay, but if my kid was a three star kid who got their dream offer from USC, I would just like I, I wouldn't want, you know, negative Nancy's on the Internet talking about how crappy my son is and how he's not worthy of that offer. Like, I just think about how I personally come at it from the sense of I'm happy for these kids who get this incredible opportunity. Like you and I have talked about that moment when you get the acceptance letter from USC is like one of the greatest in your life. Like just in that moment of like, oh, I made it. It happened. And for for these prospects, an offer is that. And so when you're a three star kid who probably isn't going to be getting a better offer. Yeah, you jump on that right away. That's why you always end up with three star commits in April, May and June, because as soon as you get the offer, bam, it's three days and you're in. Whereas with four star, five star guys, they have a thousand offers. So they're going to take their time. They're going to wait and they're going to pick later on uh, in, in, in the process. But like, I just I don't understand the idea of like, let's rain on these kids parade by talking about how this is a, 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 a you know, a. a Problem. Oh, it's beneath USC. Yeah, it was a problem for USC's program. It's not a problem for USC's program. Let me hit you with this, Michael. And I can go back even. Somebody asked me on uh, in our comment section on Radio Troy to go through and analyze the Pete Carroll era, how many three-star recruits USC was getting in the Pete Carroll era. In the Pete Carroll era, USC was getting anywhere between 3 and 10 or 11 three-star recruits in a class. And more often, 6 to 11 than 3 to 6, I, I might add. Uh, the classes that USC had, that long run of top 10 uh, recruiting classes, 2015, there were 10 three-stars. 2016, there were 7 three-stars. 2017, there were 9 three-stars. 2018 was a weird class because there was only one three-star recruit in that class. That was uh, Liam Douglas. But that was also a small class. And like the twenty, the class of 2013 didn't have any three-star recruits because there were like 12 kids in that class. So the vast majority of USC's classes, going back to the start of these recruiting star eras, have a handful or two of three-star players. It's That's what you do. You take a chance on a few guys. And if you weren't taking a chance, if you weren't seeing guys in camps and extending them offers, you wouldn't have gotten said where you wouldn't have gotten Deontay Burnett you wouldn't have gotten Chris uh Christian Rector you wouldn't have gotten um you know all sorts of we have a list of 25 of the greatest USC three-star recruits in in history and there's really 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 strong players on there uh Ryan Khalil is on there Mike Williams is on there Jarrell Casey is on there uh like it's over and over and over all these guys who who were three-star recruits who made who became more can you build your class on three-star recruits? No. But USC generally doesn't do that. The only exception, really, was the 2019 class. And the 2019 class was super weird. And I pointed this out on RainerTroy.com. The 2019 was weird class. It was weird in the sense that USC signed, it was 17 three-stars in that class, which is well above, well above what nor- more normally USC is signing. But 10 of those were signed in the last two months of the recruiting cycle. 
which means that USC was filling that class with anybody they could get. All those DBs, anybody they could get that they were pulling in. And it was after they had had a 5-7 and seven season. Exactly. And and so you have a 5-7 and seven season. You fire half your coaching staff. You have a, a head coach who's on the hot seat. Negative recruiting left and right. And so, yeah, you are scraping the barrel trying to find anybody that you can to bring in. But up until that moment when USC went 5-7, and seven, the class was shaping up to be exactly like it had been in the past where you have about five three-stars that committed in the spring and before then. And then you had your sort of group of, of seven, eight, nine, uh, four stars. And then you get it, you know, you, you fill in from there. The difference was five and seven turned a handful of four stars that you, USC would normally get into three stars because USC was was playing catch up and didn't stri- strategize well with the early signing period. But it's not like the three stars are uh, not not to go on and on here, but I, I do want to get a few other little points out. It's not like three stars are the reason USC went five and seven. The reason USC went five and seven was because they didn't develop their four and five star talent well enough. And in particular, they lost a lot of four and five star talent. I, I've, I've, I'm now a, a broken record on the class of 20, 2016. Uh, six of the top eight players in the class of 2016 are no longer on USC's roster. And none of them were been drafted either. So yeah, yeah, it's not like they're it's not like they're leaving early. Yeah, no. They, well, they were leaving early, but for well, all yes, the wrong reasons. Yes, they're not the, they're leaving early for the NFL. The six of the the six of those eight had a combined twelve starts between them, and all twelve of those be- belonged to Jack Jones. So USC wasn't third, getting. Third, hold on, third team All American Jack Jones. Third team All American. Put Jack some Jones. respect on that name. Exactly, got to put some respect on that name for sure. But the the point of it is is that in that twenty in that twenty sixteen class that loses all their top end talent, the three star recruits that USC brought in they had six in that class: Josh Fatu, a starter; Matt Fink, a contributor at worst; Jordan Isefa, a starter; Liam Jimmins, a contributor; Valus Jones Jr., a starter if not a you know or a contributor. The only miss of the six three stars that USC brought in in that class was Keyshawn Pai Young. And and Pai Young was brought in as a makeweight for Jalen uh, for for uh, Jamel Cook. Yeah. So like you didn't exactly lose a ton by by taking a chance on Pai Young and it just didn't work out. But the rest of those guys, that's a pretty decent like they're, they're not world beaters, but you don't expect them to be because they're three stars. But you're getting something out of all of those guys. You're not getting stuff out of Carrie Angeline or Jamel Cook or Josh Bebe or Frank Martin at this point or EJ Price or Trayvon Sidney or Nathan Smith or Wola Butiku or Jack Jones. Like the four and five star guys are the problem for USC. Not the, the, the three stars that USC has brought in have been fairly productive. Look at the class of 2017. USC brought in eight, uh, let's call it eight three, three stars because I take Taylor Katoa out because he's on mission. He's planning to come back. But you, the only misses you have there are Randall Grimes and Jay Godfrey. The rest of them, you're getting starters like Andrew Voorhees. You're getting contributors like Brandon Peely and Jalen McKenzie. J- Jacob Lichtenstein has developed quite a bit and is set up to be a contributor. You got Eric Kromenhoek, who's a contributor, if not a starter, coming in this year. You got Juliana Falanico, who's been a special teams player for you. Like, you're not... Those aren't the guys who are weighing your roster down. Not in the slightest. So when people freak out about Joey Wright or or uh, uh, Kyle Jurgens, 
they're freaking out about the wrong thing. Like, if if the same people were freaking out when USC grabbed, you know, when Bryce Young commits to USC and he's a four-star, five-star guy, if everyone was freaking out at him and saying, oh, USC's going to fail him, then that's one thing. But people aren't. People are generally, if they see a four-star, they're like, ah, oh, fine, that's cool. But, like, that's, again, the four-stars have been the problem for USC, not the three-stars. So this is when I step in and say... I don't want to go completely to the side of the four and five stars are the problem and the three stars are great thing. Right. I'm not that's saying, not, I'm not not, saying the three stars are That's not what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's not what you're saying. But I think that there's people who could read into that. Right. Well, um, the stars don't matter, people, which the stars do matter. Like, let's get that absolutely out of the way. Matter. They absolutely matter. But it's it's all a a probability thing. And we've talked about this. Our friends over at USCfootball.com have always talked about this. Ryan and Gerard do a great job discussing this. In the sense of your five-star guy, um, first of all, there's few of them. There's way more three-stars. So there's more of a chance that there's going to... Like, they always talk about how there's more three-stars on the Pro Bowl roster than, like, anything else, right? Yeah, because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of three-stars, and there's, like, 35 stars every year. Just numbers-wise, it's going to be different there, but, but also... Your your four and five star guys are more likely to succeed than your three stars. That doesn't mean your three stars can't succeed, but you just you go into the situation knowing that, and that's fine. And have reasonable expectations for the talent level that you're recruiting. USC has been banking a lot on four and five stars, and they're not getting a lot out of them. That doesn't mean that four and five stars are worthless to recruit. It means that USC has not developed their four and five stars like they should. Right, and that's the point. The The point of it all is that there is a place for all of these profiles of players. There is a place for, absolutely a place for the five stars. USC should be getting the five stars. There's no question about that. USC should be stocking the majority of their roster with the four stars, which generally they have done. If you think about it, the 2019 oversell, over addition of the three stars just makes up for the fact that USC didn't have any three stars in 2018. The, but the bulk of USC's roster is still four and five star players. But you need the filler guys, the three star guys that you're going to take a chance on. Some of them are going to work out and some of them aren't. But you, you can't have all four and five star guys. It's just like, you know, in an, in an army, uh, in, a, in a military strategy game, you have your your infantry, you have your knights, you have your commanders, you have your artillery, art, artillery, all that kind of stuff. Like, like, don't dog the infantry guys. They're important to your to, to your success too. They they have a place. They have a role. Well, well, half your men in chess are pawns. Yeah, exactly. Which, and which seems demeaning to call three stars pawns. I don't mean it that way. Well, but but, but they but pawns play an important role in the game of chess. Like they are strategically, yeah. they they are part of the game. And you can win ga- you win games by using your pawns well. That's fine. You're you're gonna be really bad if you don't have any pawns. Yeah, or if you use them poorly, like you know, right. it's well, all about the, how you set the, the set the board up. I always go back to the blue chip ratio, which comes from Bud Elliott from SBNation.com. I think he's got, been the guy to kind of push that uh, that as a statistic. You, the the teams that win championships are the teams with the highest blue chip ratio for the most part which means that most of their players are four and five stars, blue chippers, right? Alabama in, in 2017 had 80% of their roster were blue chip players. 
Ohio State was at 68% in 2014. Florida State was at 53% in 2013. Alabama, 71% in 2012, right? You see this. They're always above 55 60%. SC is still way above 50% on the blue chip ratio. So the idea that these three-star guys are weakening USC's talent is asinine. So don't think that. And again, it's June. There's eight months until signing. Plenty of time for USC to win games and salvage things. Well, or lose games and make things go the other way too. But well, and that's the thing is the winning, the winning and losing is going to have an impact too. If USC loses games and has to fire their coaching staff, yeah, it's going to impact the recruiting way more than extending an offer to an under you know uh, to a, a lowly three star in June uh, and taking that commitment is going to have an impact. Like if USC goes ten and two. The four and five star guys will perk up and pay attention and pay attention to USC again. If USC goes four and eight, then the consequences of that will be clear and it will impact recruiting. But what USC does on the field has a hell of a lot more to do with that than these camp invite, the camp offers that come out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's wrap up this news discussion with two more news items. Uh, the first one, Josh Imaterbebe. Hey, 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 hey. He's become yet another Illinois fighting Trojan. <laughs> Is that the last time we're going to be able to play that drop? No, Daniel. I mean, when when Daniel ends up going on to either produce again or uh, go pro in something other than sports, whatever it is that, that happens with his USC career, I think we'll discuss him at least one more time. We're gonna we're gonna keep that drop on, uh, keep it on the board and and keep it ready for use. Yeah, <laughs> Illinois is funny though. Illinois is definitely. I was actually looking at Illinois' receiving situation from last year, and honestly, like if I were Josh Matabebe or Trayvon Sydney, I'd go to Illinois too. Their leading receiver last year had like four hundred yards. They they have some major improvement to do. In their passing game. And whoever comes out of that receiving core as the number one guy is going to probably see, a, you know, at, at least be able to put up a lot more production than anybody who's currently on that roster. Yeah. I, I give a lot of credit to Kinoto Hudson. Um, he's the mastermind behind all this stuff, making Illinois, uh, you know, or making USC a pipeline to Illinois in the transfer market. He, he's done a great job. Kudos to him for being able to uh, to pull it off. Uh, lastly, the last little, I'm not going to call it news because I don't want to validate it with the idea that this is news. Apparently, Zach Smith, the former Ohio State wide receivers coach, yes, that coach, Zach Smith, that Zach Smith, uh, has a podcast called Menace to Society, which probably not the name of a podcast you should be having if you're Zach Smith, but let's just continue. Um... Explain this thing about how he believes Urban Meyer's going to USC, saying, quote, someone that I know that works in the United States Postal Service dropped a bomb on me last week. He tells me that Urban Meyer, his address, his house, has had certified mail delivered to and from, sent to the University of Southern California. I'm talking several letters. <sighs> Alicia, I have never in my life heard of a scoop as ridiculous as this. 
Like I agree. I, I swear to God, this sounds like a freaking Newman bit. When you control the mail, you control information. Like the idea that a a mailman is is the the source of a scoop about USC mail. Like, first of all, why would USC be sending Zach Smith? I mean, sorry, Urban Meyer. Why would USC be sending Urban Meyer mail? To, to woo him to be their coach when they have a coach. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No, the whole the whole thing is ridiculous. Like, I, on, on the website, I said it's like, this is the equivalent of your neighbor knowing a guy who knows a guy who told you that USC is going to hire Urban Meyer. Like, it's just not credible. And, and it just, the more you think about the whole, well, you know, he's getting mail from USC. Like, to what end? Like, maybe his kids are looking at USC for grad school. Uh, you know, maybe maybe USC is sending out media stuff. Remember, he he's in the media. Uh, totally, yeah. F- uh, doing doing uh, broadcast stuff. So maybe he's getting that kind of crap. You know, you get, you get tons of that kind of crap when you're in the media. Random mailers from universities that are throwing those things out. Like, there are a thousand different reasons why... Things with the USC letterhead could be coming to Urban Meyer and very, very low. Like the lowest on that list is, hey, Urban, come be our head coach. Like if you're talking to Urban Meyer about being your head coach while you still have a head coach under contract, I might add, you're not doing so through snail mail. You're not sending it USPS. You're talking (laughs) you're talking to his agent on the phone or you're having your agent talk to his agent on the phone you're having your you know uh, go between talk to his go between uh, through text or through facebook or through twitter dms or something like you're not sending mail with the usc letterhead like what it's i do um the headline is fun because it's like oh zach smith would put a thousand dollars that usc's that the usc's gonna get a remire like i get it yeah but at the same time like the story itself is it's silly season. It's absolute silly season. When it's, it, the, it's the dumbest mail thing carrier, I've ever heard. A mail carrier, Michael. I... Play the drop again, because that's, like, that, that's... When you control the mail, you control information. That That is the, the unnamed mail carrier speaking to Zach Smith about Urban Meyer... Coming, to, Urban Meyer may very well end up at USC, but I guarantee you, it's not because he received mail from USC in Ohio in, at his residence in Ohio. And you know we can bag on USC's you know process for things, but I don't think SC is as backwards enough to to send prospective candidates to things and not overnight you know, a, a pamphlet about about the university. If if this is this important to USC, they're not gonna send it freaking first class. Give me a break. They're gonna overnight it. FedEx. Oh, no. Now now that you say it that way, Michael, there's a lot of people who want USC to go back to student body left, student body right. So maybe we're going way, way back in our in in, in the methods uh, which you you uh, woo your head coach. You know, got to take a train out to Ohio in order to go talk to Urban Meyer. Hire a horse and <sighs> horse and carriage. 
Urban Meyer is going to be working in Los Angeles. There's no need to send a mail to to Ohio. It just, I can't do this. I can't. By the way, he's probably going to be at Media Day, huh? That's going to be weird. He probably will be at Media Day. That's going to be be really weird. Hey, we should ask him. We're walking around with me today. There you go. Hey, hey Urban, how's that mail going? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, let's talk about some other stuff, including Bill Connolly's preview of the USC Trojans in 2019. We'll talk about that coming up next. All right, Alicia, let's get into talking about Bill Connolly's anticipated preview of the Trojans. He's finally doing the Pac-12 in his yearly rundown of the 130-team preview that he does for SBNation.com. And he titled USC's with the most appropriate title I've ever seen in my life. Anything from 4-8 to 11-1 is on the table for USC this year. Have fun with that, Clay Helton. Yeah, in in the uh, in my second and short on the Patreon last week, I got into this a little bit, and I had talked a little bit about how like I'm gratified that Bill Connolly sees this exactly the same way I do, because there, there's a point where I wonder to myself if I need to start taking sides on which way this is going to go, and I find it very very difficult to even decide how I how I see this the season playing out. And I'm I'm glad to know that somebody who is as as keyed in as Bill Connolly, certainly on the statistical side of things, can look at all the the same data subsets and come out come away with a big giant shruggy, like anywhere from four and eight to eleven and one. I leave you all to figure out what that means. Like (laughs) we're all in the same boat, Michael. It's pretty gratifying. Yeah, and he has SC projected to go seven and five in 2019 with an S and P plus ranking of 29th. That sounds about right to me. Um, for that's that's the most reasonable project projection possible. Seven and five is right on the nose of what USC should be predicted to do. Um, I I feel like I'm on the seven and and, and five, eight and four fence myself. But like, yeah, that's that's where SC is with the cha- with the chance that things go south uh, to that four and eight. Um, whole or things go way way up with eleven and one, and it's all because of these games that you know plenty of people are calling coin flips. And you look at the numbers that Bill Connolly has put together with S and P Plus, and you really see how much of a coin flip these things are. Fresno State, a win probability for USC of sixty-seven percent. Stanford, fifty-seven percent. BYU, fifty-six percent. Utah, 45%. So right there in the first four weeks, every single game is between 45 and 67%. SC could be 4-0 or 0-4 relatively easily because they're all relative coin flips. Yeah, it all hinges on a coin flip. And, and Bill Connolly also points out that nine of USC's 12 games are projected to be one-score games. Yep. Nine of 12. That means you're looking at relative coin flips for nine of the 12. And that's why four and eight and eleven and one, why it all seems really plausible. Because if the coin flips all in the right direction for USC, then those are all nine wins. Mm-hmm. And if things go really poorly and and the bounces don't go USC's way, then you're looking at nine losses. So who who the heck knows? Like it's it's all a big 
it's all a big jumble uh, because the the problem really is that Clay Helton and this USC team did reach heights in 2016 and 2017 that showed that they could win 10 games in a season. And the five and seven season from last year showed that they could lose seven games in a season that, that these were that the the truths that we held going out of the 2017 season. What what were they, Michael? Uh, USC would win games that they were favored in and USC would win games at home. Yep. Those those were the the trends that that Clay Helton had. Those all got broken in 2018, which basically opens the floodgates for you there there is no there are no like tentpole standards for the clay helton era anymore that you can rely on all things are, are are on the table yeah all things are definitely on the table now in terms of the eight and four versus 11 to one thing i'm more on the side of it's more likely that sc goes above the seven and five median so Let's say nine and three. I think nine and three is reasonable. If you're going to say SC is going to go over seven, if we put the line at seven and a half, I think seven and a half is is a decent over under for USC's win total. If you put it at seven and a half, and and you take the over, I think eight or nine is the most reasonable. Ten and two, uh, you're starting to be really confident. Eleven and one, you're extremely confident. You should probably take a chill pill and step back away from whatever you're thinking. But if you say nine and three, I think nine and three, which is two wins more than seven and five, is more likely than say four and eight or five and seven. Strictly because we we talk about all these close games that that SC is projected to play this season, this upcoming season. SC played a bunch of close games last year and lost them all. Uh, the year before, in, in 2017, they won all those close games. I feel like it's more likely that SC reverts back to the norm and does not lose those close games like they did last year. The Cal game, the ASU game, games that we've talked about ad nauseum for the last couple of months that SC should have won, absolutely should have won. Um, d- do they change as a team? No. Uh, but their record very easily could have been seven and five and should have been seven and five last year. Uh, and and maybe we look at it completely different, even though that nothing really changes by making a one snap got not go over JT Daniels head and one 92 yard punt return not happen. Those are not two crazy ifs. But if those two things don't happen, SC goes seven and five. And so that's how close SC was to going seven and five last year. Right. But they went five and seven. So I can't imagine, and, and the year before, in, in 2017, SC stops a two-point conversion and beats Utah. Um, the, the Stanford game, they they, they pull out a, a goal line stand on or fourth down. All these things that they were on the razor's edge and they pulled out wins. And last year they were on the razor's edge and pulled out losses. Isn't it more likely that they pull out more wins again in, in 2019 than losses? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's the the equation that certainly got factored in with Notre Dame coming off that four and eight season, and then they bounced back for their uh, what was it ten and ten and two or nine and three, um, the next year uh, nine and three. Yeah, the the only thing that uh, gives me pause about that, which I, I tend to agree with you that USC was so unlucky. Like again, I don't want to give it the cop out, but USC was so unlucky in twenty eighteen, and I think people undersell the idea that USC had the injuries they had on the defense, and had the true freshman quarterback that they had. Um, but going into uh, going into this year, you just have to think that they won't 
at the very least, they won't be that unlucky again. The difference in the record side of it, though, is that USC does trade Oregon State for Oregon and they trade Washington State for Washington. So and and they won those two games. Right, exactly. So it, it's and they're favored to lose both the Oregon and the Washington the games, ones. according to S and P Plus. Yes. Yeah. So it, the the translation of flip a couple games of luck to USC's favor in 2018, applying that to 2019 gets a little bit muddy because you're not talking about the same uh, opponent set. And right. so you could just be building in two extra losses just because the the schedule changed. But yeah, but at the same point, uh, you're playing at BYU instead of at Texas. BYU exactly. a little bit more manageable than at Texas. Oh, for sure, for sure. And you're getting um, Utah at home as opposed to in in Utah in Salt Lake City, which is a totally different absolute uh, equation. Snake yes. Yeah, and you know you're getting. Uh, you're 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 not having to travel to Stanford. You get Stanford at home, which changes that equation. Yeah, super um, tough place to play Stanford. Oh yeah, a very yeah, loud venue for it's, sure. It's 100%. still travel. It's still travel. It was still JT Daniels' first ever road game. I know. I know. Like, I know. and JT also got injured in that game. Like, it would just. There's weird stuff. I think there's in country clubs that are more hostile than Stanford Stadium. Well, but okay. this is true, but either way, I, I get I get the point. It's a schedule that it should be more difficult than last year, 100, percent absolutely. Um, but this is a team that what what you want to hear, right? Is you want SC's you know improvement from last year to balance that out in terms of schematics. You want the offense to be better, and if you score. 7 to 10 to 14 points more per game because the offense is, you know, a Graham Harrell offense, then shouldn't that help? You would think that would help offset these things like the uptick in strength of schedule. It's just a matter of seeing that come forward. And you look at what Bill Connolly says, the the offense was, you know, horrendous last year. And if you look at the defense, Bill Connolly makes, you know, great points that SC's defense has regressed every year under Clancy Pendergast. You can't keep going backwards because at some point the uptick in offense is not going to you know kind of cancel that out. So you need the defense to take a step forward, you need the offense to take about 3 steps forward, and if you do that, you'll have more of a chance to win those coin flip games that should be tough, at least that are in t- tough on paper right now. If I'm going to be the the voice of optimism here, we've talked a lot about Graham Harrell and improving the offense in that sense. On the defensive side of the ball, I, I don't think it's any coincidence that USC had a better defense in 2016 and 2017 when they had a significantly better defensive front than they than they fielded in, in 2018. Yeah. Uh, particularly 2016, when you had Stevie Tuukulavatu, his in, influence, you had a healthy Port Augustine and, and Uchenna Mosu, even if they were in their first years uh, as starters that year. And Rasheem Green was was still young, but he was he was still an effective player for USC up front. The 2018 defensive front really wasn't good enough, and you could hinge that on they were all redshirt freshmen. Like every single one of them was a redshirt freshman. Uh, so when you're looking at 2019, what might change for USC's defense to put them right back on the right track, even though they're replacing literally the entire secondary? That defensive front should be improved from last year, if nothing else. And and improving that defensive front should 
improve the defense as a whole, or at least the defensive performance as a whole. A lot is riding on players, though, that are still, you're looking at them as potential guys, Jay Tufele, Marlon Tupelotu, Brandon Peely, uh, Christian Rector. You need all of those guys to to step into their sort of fully grown selves, but this is the year, if they were going to do it, this is the year they'd do it. So that's kind of where things things very much hinge and that's when you read bill Connolly's preview you very much get the sense that things hinge on how good is graham harrell and can that defensive front provide more of a foundation and and settle settle down the defense uh to be just more effective in that in that scheme yeah i think the interesting thing is looking at these numbers going back in 2018 the the line stats as much as I think that you know you can poke holes at USC's defense, which UCLA certainly did, uh, which UNLV certainly did, you you look at this in adjusted line yards. SC was one hundredth on offense, forty second on defense. On standard downs, SC was 99th on on offense and fortieth in in defense. They were typically on most of these stats in the top fifty on defense and stuff. They were in the like high 80s and 90s and you know in the hundreds on offensive statistics yeah a, a defense that ranks in in the 30s and 40s and things isn't great but when your offense is ranked 112th in power success rate yeah like come on well the bigger issue for USC's uh, no the offensive line was absolutely worse than the defensive line the problem with the defensive line is they were just a little bit too vanilla like, they weren't good enough at any one thing. And this is a, a, a point that Bill Connolly makes, is that the, the the defense just wasn't really that good at anything. They were generally mediocre. And um, where they were bad was in sack rate. And you can't be bad in sack rate and you can't be bad in turnovers. And that's where USC was. So flip those things and you, your mediocre defense suddenly starts looking like a decent to mediocre defense. And that could be enough to to equal a couple extra wins if your offense isn't ranking, you know, 100th in adjusted line yards and 100 and, you know, whatever in, in all of these other metrics. Like they were 101st in points per opportunity. That's that's really, really not good. And on the flip side of things, you have special teams that wasn't necessarily setting up your defense particularly well. USC's defense ranked 100th in, a, in average starting field position. That's not good. Yeah, not, not good at all. And turnovers is an area which I don't think we ever discussed last year like we probably should have. SC's turnover margin last year was was minus 10. That's bad. But it also wasn't helped by the fact that, and we have talked about this a little bit before, we didn't really talk about last year, is the expectation that uh, about 20% of passes defended should be intercepted. SC was nowhere close to that number, and that's why when you look at expected turnover margin, it should have been minus 6.4. That's a difference of 3.6. It's because SC wasn't intercepting passes at an expected rate. And that it's it's hard to understand exactly how that happens. Is, does that just mean that SC guys were dropping balls uh, in the defensive backfield or, or that deflected balls weren't going their way at a mathematical rate consistent to what is normal? 
could be any number of those things. But for the most part, fumbles that are on the ground are recovered 50% of the time by the offense, and balls that are defended are intercepted 20% of the time by the defense. And those numbers USC was not hitting, which makes them unlucky, which makes them more likely to be luckier in 2019. But but still, you got to find a way to just be better, not, you know, bank on luck. You don't want to bank on luck. You no, know, you make your own luck. We always say that. But just to, to further this conversation about USC's turnover luck, uh, USC ranked 11th in pass breakups last year nationally. Yeah. Uh, they which, had, which is why they should have had more interceptions. They had 63 pass breakups. Uh, and so the all the teams that had 60 or more. Everyone else, USC had four interceptions. Everyone else had 11 or more. Yeah, that's the disparity. So three times as many interceptions as USC compared to what most people, for, for all the teams that were up there in the elite pass breakup sort of category. That's weird. That's unusual. That's a, that's a. Let's just say SC had six more interceptions. That is one per, one every two games, right? You're going to tell me that doesn't make up for something somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it absolutely would have, especially because like, USC had so many close games. That's what I'm Take saying. Take one possession SC, off the board. SC was two and four in one possession games. I keep saying that they, they lost all the close games last year. They didn't. They beat Washington State, obviously. So, But still, two and four in one possession games. Um, and the year before, they were much better than two and four. Uh, so you would think it would kind of balance out a little bit. Uh, let, let's finish this Bob Connolly, Bill Connolly. I always do that. We're, we're not terrible. blaming Bob Connolly for this, Michael. I know. No, it's Bill. Bill Connolly. Uh, Bill C. Uh, let's finish this thing up by going down the, uh, we talked about the win probabilities, but talk about the projected margin of victory as the S&P Plus sees it right now. So week one, the numbers have SC by 7.7 points over Fresno State. 67% win probability. Stanford, a 3.2 point margin of victory for USC, 57%. At BYU, is 2.6 points in favor of USC at 56% win probability. Utah at home, uh, 2.1 points to Utah at a 45% win probability for the Trojans. At Washington, 9.4 point deficit uh, in favor of the Huskies. Only 29% win probability for USC at Notre Dame is 10.9 points for the Irish, 27% for USC. Uh, things get a little bit better in the end of October. Arizona, 7.8 points. Colorado, 6.5 points. Those are 67 and 65% win probability uh, chances for USC. And then the ultimate coin flip is the Oregon game at home. The Oregon Ducks have 0.6. 0.6 of a projected margin of victory with S&P Plus with a 49% win probability chance for USC in that game. Uh, at ASU, 2.3 points for USC, a 55% win probability. At Cal, 4.8 points for the Trojans, 61%. And finally, USC's biggest projected margin of victory goes over UCLA at 10.2 points, 72% for the Trojans. Yeah, I find this all very, very very interesting um the fresno state one is is fascinating to me because like 67 percent win probability yeah sure i'm there for it but at the same time like 7.7 7 projected win margin 
feels low, except I like I feel like that's the ultimate sign of where USC is right now as far as the numbers go, as far as the, the faith that the numbers have in USC, because USC should go into a season opening game against Fresno State and have a much higher win projection than that. But like the the fact that USC's win projection against Fresno State is smaller than their win projection against UCLA, that's where I come down and go, what? But isn't that saying more about Fresno State than it does about about or more about UCLA struggled last year than it does about anything else? Yeah, and I guess the numbers can't really account for Chip Kelly being expected to do better than the three and nine that UCLA because UCLA was three and nine, Fresno State was eleven and two. So, like, I get where this just when you're looking at a pure numbers game, like I get where that happens, but also maybe this is where this is where stats fall short because. You know, you and I as observers can look at that and go like, yeah, that's probably not how it's going to go down. Yeah, so I just pulled up last year's preview from Bill Connolly. Last year, the Trojans were projected to win 8.2 games. This year, they're projected to win 6.5. If you go game by game, uh, SC had a 79% win probability over Arizona State in the preseason, and they lost that one. 81% over Cal, and they lost that one. And it's interesting because you look at the projected margin of victory, SC had one, two, three, four, five, six. Six games in which USC was projected in the preseason by Bill Connolly to have a projected margin of victory of more than 10 points. SC has won in 2019. Now, of those six, do you want to know how many SC won last year? Oh, I, I don't. <laughs> it's going to be depressing. Sure. SC won four. So four Yeah. Four out of USC's five games last year were of the six games that they were projected to win by 10-plus with S&P+. Plus. UNLV, Washington State, Colorado, and Oregon State. They lost to Cal and ASU. The two games that they should have won. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's how the cookie crumbles. Bottom line, a lot of coin flips. SC's got to win those to have a good year. Uh, if they lose those, they won't have a good year. That's pretty much how it goes. Uh, the numbers bear it out, and I think a lot of people, a lot of rational people bear that out too. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Uh, up next. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with our Fresno State discussion we had last week. We said, or I think I said, I was the one jamming this home, that if SC had a 10-point win over Fresno State in week one, I said that people should be satisfied and that for the most part, people wouldn't want to have you know, their pitchforks out and do the fire Helton thing because Fresno State was really damn good last year. It's Jeff Tedford. They won the, the Mountain West. Uh, there's a lot of people who think that, at least if you read our comments on Renatroy.com, that think that SC's going to win like four games this year. Uh, a 10-point win over Fresno State should just be fine for week one for what it is. You disagreed. We put up a poll. The poll on Reign of Troy on Twitter said, question of the day, colon, would you be satisfied with a 10-point USC win over Fresno State in week one? 52% said no. 48% said yes. That's like with 800 and something people voting. So pretty damn even 
And all the responses we got were pretty damn even down the board, too. We got an email from Ed who said, Michael, you are so wrong about the USC fan base. If USC doesn't beat Fresno State convincingly by a greater than 17, people will be looking for Clay's head, period. End of story. A 10-point win isn't good enough. Fight on Ed in the Bay Area. Greg, Greg from Woodland Hills says, Alicia's right. USC fans are much more myopic than reasonable right now. Jack Hellyer says... Hey, Alicia, Michael, and a 10-point win over Fresno State would satisfy me. Michael is right on this one. Uh, it's a lot of back and forth, a lot of split down the middle. Um, I'll Sure, I'll concede and give you the victory here, but I think for the most part, it was split down the middle of how people would feel and split down the middle in terms of reactions. A lot of people said, I would be fine, but the fan base wouldn't be fine. Which I think is kind of what you, your general opinion was. Right. Uh, we did get a tweet from Jack Foley, which I think is the ultimate right answer to this. A 35-25 win over Fresno is solid. Even more so if one of Fresno State's scores is a kickoff return or a garbage time touchdown. A 10-0 shutout is fine, but you know fans will be angry about the offense and discounting the shutout. I, now, I don't necessarily agree on the... The 35-25 versus 10-nothing 10, 10 thing, but I 100% agree that the context of the 10 points matters. I think there's a big difference between 17-7 versus 51-41. Uh, Absolutely. I 100% I, I agree on that. And really, for me, what it comes down to is, how does the offense look? Because so much of this offseason has hinged on Graham Harrell bringing some positivity on the offense being much improved, on the quarterback play being much improved, USC getting more out of their athletes. So if you're talking about an offense that just unloads on Fresno State, then I think you'll have a lot more positivity, even if that means the defense looks a bit vulnerable. Whereas the alternative where like USC's offense doesn't score two touchdowns, that USC could win by 10 points, but 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 like if it's 17 to 10... Or 17 to 7, USC failing to score 20 points in that game, people will not be happy, not in the slightest. Okay, answer me this. What's more satisfying, USC scoring 50 points or allowing zero in a vacuum? Scoring 50 or allowing zero? What's more satisfying? Um, scoring 50 because I'm kind of invested in Big 12 bad. <laughs> I think allowing zero is more impressive because SC just hasn't done that on a regular basis. The difference They've here... They've scored 40 points before and 40 points isn't that drastically different than 50. Um, so I think allowing zero would be better in that sense. Except that I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it for much of a sign because Fresno State loses so much of the offense that got them sure. to 11 and 2. Right. Now, I think the other thing is, and, and this is main, mainly what my point is this is week one. This is a tough six games for USC. Judge USC at the end of those six games. Judge SC at the end of the first three. Don't necessarily put everything into week one, especially when there's so many more big games on tap here um, than anything else. I think. I think for the Trojans, week one, two, and three are three game, three games. I think if you win by a point, who cares? You're going to make your hay in week four, five, and six against Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame. The season comes down to how those three games play out. You just need to outlast, survive in advance the first three weeks, and then make your 
your statement for what you really are in weeks four, five, and six. Uh, last thing I, I want to mention before we move on to the other mailbag stuff, in terms of a Fresno State win, let's draw up the most satisfying 10-point win possible over Fresno State. What is it? It's 45 to 35, where USC is up 45 to 20. What's the math on that? 28 and uh, gives up a, you know, fourth quarter garbage time touchdown. In fact, where where the majority of the, where Fresno's last two touchdowns are like are late. Uh, are late but sandwiched, so USC's up by you know, thirty something, and then uh, SC's up forty five twenty one, and then Fresno State scores twice in the last five minutes. No, 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 not worse. But where USC, it, like the ideal would be USC answers in between. So USC's up big, Fresno scores. USC scores the touchdown that just you know for sure puts it away, and then Fresno scores again. See, I will change this up a little bit. SC is up 35 to 14. Um, Fresno State scores to make it 35-21. They immediately score SC answers to make it 45-21. Put the game away. You feel fine. Yeah, exactly. And then Fresno State score in the last five minutes scores two when, garbage time touchdowns. When you've cleared the benches, you have all the walk-ons When you've cleared the, the benches, freshmen. they score two garbage time touchdowns, and you only win by 10, but the game was... Essentially over at 35-14, at yes. it was really early, sorry, at uh, 38-14, but it was really over at 45-21. Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag, the rest of the mailbag, and let's go to an email we got from Maria. Uh, Alicia and Michael, I recently heard one of your podcasts where Michael mentioned Southwest had a ticket sale and you bought your online tickets for the USC away games. I've just retired this year and like to make some games. Could you include in one of your podcast segments a recommendation of a game or two that would be worth traveling to see for this season? Also, do I sit in the USC student section or be brave and sit amongst the opposing team? What about the areas of hangouts that day before game day when you arrive? Your Patreon member, Maria from Palmdale. P.S. Keep up the good work. I love your podcast. Thanks for the email, uh, Maria. This is uh, USC has a pretty decent slate of road games to go to uh, this year. You know, BYU is going to be a fun trip. I don't think you or I can recommend like places to hang out or or the the vibe for for going to Provo because neither of us have ever been there. But like that's like we're excited to to make that trip. Um, Washington is another one where everyone always talks about sailgating and how beautiful it is up there. So. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be my first time making that trip, so again, I can't really speak to the to the hangouts, but you couldn't go wrong with that one. Notre Dame is always a beautiful trip. Uh, if you if you do Notre Dame, uh, my recommendation is to do it like you and I did it a few years back, where you go in and stay in Chicago and yep. get to enjoy the city of Chicago because it's a wonderful city. Go to the rally that USC holds out on the pier and uh, Navy Pier, Navy yep. Pier. And uh, and then and then head over to South Bend for the day and and enjoy beautiful South Bend and enjoy the game that way. Um, I mean, not 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 to then hit every single one, but I've heard that Boulder is a great trip for Colorado if you want to do the Friday night trip. But Boulder is great. So the the thing I would say here is, in terms of sitting somewhere, it depends on the place. Um, if you're going to the ASU game, sit with SC fans. Uh, ASU tends to be a little rowdier compared to other places. 
Uh, I, I think that if you're going to ASU, sit with USC fans. Find a way to sit with other SC fans. If you're going to BYU, I don't think it cares where. I don't think it matters where you sit. BYU fans are super passionate, but they're nice. Uh, Notre Dame is kind of the same way. When I was, uh, yeah, when you, I went you to... obviously want want to sit with SC fans anywhere you go, uh, but Notre Dame fans are not going to give you hell. Yeah, if when that I, makes sense. When I went to Notre Dame uh, uh, for the game, I sat with uh, a friend of ours in the Notre Dame section, and we were around Notre Dame people. They were super nice to us. They they gave us heating things for our toes and stuff like that because it was cold. Like, yeah, can't can't speak highly enough of the Notre Dame fans that were around us in that game. It helped that they won that game. <laughs> but uh, there was a stretch where USC was looking pretty competitive and, and, it, and it didn't ever get really heated. So, yeah, generally, um, it's, it's, it's generally safe as far as... The, you'll have the best time if you're around your USC fans, though. So if you can try to figure out what corner of the stadium USC's like the band will be in but first like you said for some of the stadiums it's not as important as for for other ones the other one that I'll say is if you want to do uh, you know something that's not crazy the Cal trip the weekender is really great Berkeley is is a really nice city um so or nice town I guess if you want to call it that That, that's a place you want to sit with SC people yes for sure for sure but which I think is it's it's interesting because I think this season it might be more difficult than it was in 2013. When we went in 2013, it was there were so of, many SC people, yeah, and there were so many SC people not sitting in the SC section that it was there was Cardinal everywhere. It was like yeah. checkerboarded with Cardinal. I don't necessarily think that would be the case this year with the streak ending and with Cal being much better. Um, but that would be a place you'd want to try to sit with SC fans for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a nice little neat stadium. Uh, Berkeley's a cool hang. Um, a lot of walking, and it's a lot of uphill walking. So get ready for that. Um, but Berkeley's nice and easy for sure, one hundred percent. Chicago, if you can go to the the Notre Dame game, uh, pricey, just like Washington and, and Seattle is. But those are two games that are going to be the biggest games of the season. Uh, most likely the USC loses those two games, but those would be great games to go to, especially if SC can get out a win. Yeah, if cost is not a, a concern necessarily, um, then my number one game I would give you is Notre Dame. Especially if you've if you've never done it, like just get get that off your bucket list. Just do it. Go see Touchdown Jesus. It's it's all worth it. Um, yep. If if cost is a, a a concern, then I think you can't go wrong with the weekender. With going up to Cal, uh, because you'll still get the away game feel, um, but but it's also you know in theory if you're in Southern California, uh, you can drive or take the train or or do whatever. It's 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 pretty reasonable. Like the Hyperloop? Oh uh, no, no, never mind. No, that. <laughs> that doesn't exist yet. Uh, no, the the other thing that I, I think that I like about the Weekender is it's kind of a choose your own adventure. Yeah. You can you can go all out and you can spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to stay in the city, um, in San Francisco, and make it super super nice and a super luxurious time. Or you can stay in like, I don't know, somewhere in the East Bay and you know a little bit more cost effectively, like in Fremont or something, and you can you can keep it really low key and then 
you know, drive in to for the for the game or or take take Bart or, or whatever it is. It's a choose your own adventure of how you want to do it. Also, I will take this to my grave. San Francisco is a one day city. It's the only big city in America you can do in one day, and you can always do that in one day. I will agree with that. I am not a fan of San Francisco, but if you've never been, it's worth going to check it out. But don't, in one day, yes. Don't yeah, you don't need to spend more than a day there. <laughs> That's good advice. Yeah. You I don't know. If you're me, you won't want to spend more than one day there. So yeah. We're losing listeners left and right. So, uh, hey, uh, uh, apologies to San Francisco, but if you live in New York or love New York, then I have worse things to say about that city, so you know. But if we mention how much we love Chicago. I love Chicago. Chicago is a great city. By the way, so I was just I was just in Nashville. I am thoroughly mad that SC just went out and got this this new bowl game with an ACC opponent in an SEC country, and it's not the Music City Bowl. Yeah. Because I swear to God, the Music City Bowl would be awesome. Nashville's an ultimate party town. So many good places to just hang out. It's the perfect bowl city, I think. I imagine Nashville is, I've never been, but I, I like in my head, I envision it a little bit like Austin. Is that wrong? Yes, but I think it's better than Austin. Oh, okay. Well, that's... In the sense of how the city is laid out. Okay. And in the sense of, so Broadway is where all the honky-tonk bars are. And maybe this is just me. So this could just be a Michaelism. So take this for what it's worth. But I just feel like Nashville is just so much more laid back and approachable than Austin is. Okay. Because I, I think see that. Austin, Austin is so hipster that I'm like, Very. like I, I I feel like it's borderline pretentious. Huh. I, I don't know if Not, pretentious is a word I would use for Austin, but I get what you I, mean. I get what you mean. That's probably the wrong word, but yeah. like more so of like there's, I don't know. Na- Nashville just seems more laid back to me. Probably losing listeners in Austin. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to let's go to an email from Texas, uh, an email from George, uh, who emailed us last year. Uh, I'd like to start by letting you know that if you don't already know, Whataburger is sponsoring your show in Grapevine, Texas. As I recall, they don't exist in SoCal. That's funny. Uh, this is because our ads are dynamic ads based on your location. Uh, so we've heard from people as far as us ways Australia of getting like. Australian surf shop uh, ads in Australia, but while listening to Radio Tour Radio, the the ads that you hear in our episodes are based on your internet activity in your location. So fun fact, but that's awesome that Whataburger is sponsored. Hey, it's it's on brand. It's very we we are a pro Whataburger podcast. One hundred percent. George continues: If USC wins twenty to ten, there will be a meltdown over Graham Harrell's offense. If the score is forty to thirty. The meltdown will be about the defense. Either way, a 10-point spread will cause grown men to jump from tall buildings. I think that's a fair way to, to look at the 20 to 10 versus 40 to 30. I think I, I, I There is a segment of USC fans that will find something to complain about. No, I think that's yep. what George is getting into. I think he hits, the, hail, hits the, the nail right on the head. Someone will find something to complain about, no matter what the Always. score is. If it's yeah, if it's sixty to, if yeah. it's sixty to nothing, someone will find some way 
Why to did make it SC a score score that many points? Running why up the were score. They cele- why were they celebrating those touchdowns? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why would SC score that much against Thailand? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, George also puts P.S. Thanks for the recommendation to stay in Santa Mar- Monica and taking the train into the Notre Dame game. It was perfect. I ran into a bunch of Notre Dame players in the boardwalk and had to give them some grief. Sounds like George had a good time last year, even though despite SC losing. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the the key to a good trip is to make sure the trip is great, regardless of the outcome of the game. And it sounds like George did that right, regardless of the outcome of the game. But we're glad it worked out for you. Uh, you know, different people have different opinions on taking train, uh, taking taking the metro and stuff to and from games. And uh, I think you and I are both think it's a good option, depending on where you are. So I'm glad it worked out. Yep, for sure. Uh, let's go to an email from John. Hi, Alicia, Michael, and Rain of Troy. I read your answer to the mailbag question on USC playing at the new Rams Stadium, and I have to disagree. Does it make financial sense for USC to play a game there and take money away from the Coliseum? The Rams are paying USC $4 million a year to use the Coliseum, and this goes away after this coming season. USC losing extra revenue is one of the less talked about drivers for USC wanting an additional home game added to its future schedules. USC turning around and playing paying the Rams to use their stadium, probably sharing the gate ticket revenue with them, and also losing out on Coliseum food concession sale sale revenue that USC gets 100% of during the home games is not wise. But yes, USC will probably play at the Rams Stadium or Rose Bowl in the 2028 Olympic year. The committee will be paying USC not just for the two weeks of the Olympic Games, but also the many months it is occupying the Coliseum in order to modify it for the games and returning it to the regular football condition. Before you finish the rest of the rest of his email, I, I wanted to point out that um, when when we talk about USC playing in Ram Stadium outside of that year when the Olympics will force them to do it, we're not talking about USC giving up a home game and paying paying the Rams to use their facilities. We're talking about one of those showcase games like AT and T. Like the 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 Cotton Bowl um, Classic that they hold at right. AT and T Stadium every year, those are one off showcase games, almost like preseason bowl games, uh, where there's a committee that's putting together that game that is paying right. the teams that are like USC made how much six million dollars from the I think it was six million and Alabama got ten million um, for 2016. Oh, for the Advocare Classic. That's what the, at least that's what the I th- the sponsor I think, is. I think that's what it was. Yeah, something like uh, or that. Or maybe those are the numbers for 2020. I don't remember. But yeah, I think it would be a situation where SC would get, like, if there was a game at the at, at the Rams Stadium, and, and let's say it's Stan Kroenke and he decides to spend his money since he's not spending on Arsenal players, he decides to put it into a football game, a college football game, he would probably be paying out, you know, six, seven, eight million dollars to USC and to Florida or whatever school it is, to play there. So that's why USC is is okay with these these one-off games is because you get the money that you would of a home game, maybe even a little bit more, while having the benefits of going on the road and recruiting and barnstorming and all that kind of stuff. Now, for, it, for them to do that at home, uh, home and quotes and and being in LA I think it would be that the money would just have to be so sweet that it would 
supersede the value of going to Las Vegas or going to Texas, like in Arlington or Houston or even Atlanta, uh, of the recruiting benefits of going to those places. Yeah, exactly. I, I do think that, that he makes a good point about USC losing the revenue uh, from the Rams playing in the Coliseum and that playing a part in USC's change in strategy for, for scheduling. But yep. we're just sort of talking about a different side of the, of the whole scheduling coin. Yeah, that, that is a great point that, that SC kind of probably really liked having that money from the NFL and, and then not getting it anymore. Um, it's kind of a bummer in that sense. Uh, but uh, John continues his email and says, that all said, here's my real question and a possible concern for the new Ram Stadium. What do you think is the potential for UCLA to leave the Rose Bowl and move to the stadium? I think that would definitely be a facility upgrade for them especially with the bars and restaurants that are going to go into the area adjacent to the new stadium. UCLA, unlike USC, just rents the Rose Bowl and has no financial responsibilities for it, so moving to the Rams Stadium comes at little cost. How do you think UCLA playing in the new Rams Stadium would impact the L.A. football scene? What are your thoughts, John, in Oakland? Fight on. And P.S. Alicia, maybe you could ask your friends at the What's Bruin Show for their opinions on UCLA potentially moving its home games to the new Ram Stadium. I'd be interested in hearing their thoughts on the pluses and minuses of this sort of move. I think that's something we can totally talk with Jake about on Takes with Jake next week. Yeah, we'll definitely get into it with Takes with Jake. Here's a little preview. I shot a text message to Jake and Mike, both from the What's Bruin show, asking them this question, and Mike's response very quickly was an all-caps exclamation pointed, No. Um, he said it might be closer, but there is history in Pasadena. Jake responded against purely for the drive. Rose Bowl is way easier to, easier to get to. Now, Jake lives up in, in my neck of the woods, so I get what he means about that as opposed to driving down to, to Inglewood. Uh, Mike then went on Gojo Bruin, uh, the, their Twitter account, and asked the question to their UCLA fans, um, if, you, if UCLA got a sweet deal, would you like them to play in the new Inglewood Stadium or stay at the Rose Bowl? The poll results for that with 300 votes in, uh, with 400 votes in now is 70% preferring the Rose Bowl to 30% the new stadium. Um, and there are some re- responses from people who say, I love the Rose Bowl, but I vote for the new stadium, shorter drive, and a canopy to offer shade on those hot September Sundays. Um, somebody else said, I mean, they did waste money on renovating the Rose Bowl, so it would be a waste of money. Um, someone says that the Inglewood Stadium is closer to where I live, but I'm used to the Rose Bowl. Someone else says, makes sense to stay in the Rose Bowl as the home stadium, but would be nice for early season high-profile matchups in September to use the new stadium. So it seems like I think people sentiment sentimentality-wise, our UCLA fans are in favor of staying with the Rose Bowl. And it, from my perspective, that's sort of where I look at, look at it, too. If I was a UCLA fan, the privilege of being able to call the Rose Bowl your home stadium, the Rose Bowl, which is considered one of the best stadiums it's certainly the one of the best venues not necessarily the structure itself but certainly the location of it uh in college football i kind of would like that sort of status symbol as opposed to the new inglewood stadium even though they're 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 you know are ucla could certainly make a recruiting push selling uh selling recruits on this fancy new nfl stadium that they occupy uh, but the the his the history of the Rose Bowl has its own 
rewards as well. This is such an interesting thing because I, I, I think UCLA fans are a little ate up with the idea of the Rose Bowl being theirs. It's it's not like you you've only played there since 1982. That's a pretty um, long time, Michael. <laughs> it's I longer know, than I've been like, alive, so it's not like sure. But you know, UCLA's only gone to like one Rose Bowl well, since. I mean, the- sorry, they've only won one Rose Bowl since going. Since playing at the Rose Bowl, they've only gone to like three. That's the or big. Maybe four. That's the big burn. That's the one I like. Yeah, so it, it's. I don't know. I, the the way I, I I look at it, there's a lot of reasons to do it, and there's a lot of reasons not to do it. I think there's more reasons to do it. I think that logistically, it would make sense. Of you know, it would allow the Pasadena to have more concerts because they're only. I think they're only allowed like. 15 or 16, 17 something um, events per year. And so it will allow them to have more concerts with them, which they might actually make more money on than UCLA football. Um, but could the new Ram stadium even hold three teams? Like that is a lot. Think about that. Like it's not just the Rams, it's the Rams and the chargers. Yeah. And I know that, that, you know, UCLA wouldn't be playing on Saturdays and it's not real grass and they would be able to switch out the the turf and all that stuff and it'd be a little bit easier that way. But that is a lot of logistical hurdles when you could potentially have three games in a weekend if one of the teams plays on a Thursday and then UCLA is on a Saturday and then the Chargers are on a Sunday. Like, that's a lot, man. Yeah, if I'm the Inglewood Stadium... I don't even offer that to UCLA unless the Chargers go back to San Diego or go somewhere else and I'm looking for a new tenant, then maybe I reach out to UCLA. But yeah, I think you're right. Logistically, that seems that seems rough. Yeah, just yeah, it, it, it's a it's a rough go to see all all the teams fit in there for sure. Uh, let's go to a text message we got from a robot in NorCal. When people talk about the decline of the 2018 offense from the 2017 production, why do they only talk about Sam Darnold being gone? Why does no one ever mention Tyson Helton being gone as well? It was often mentioned that he helped with play calling. I'd love to hear your thoughts as to why I've never heard that mentioned as a possible contributing factor. That is an excellent question, but mostly an excellent point. I do think that kind of got lost in the whirlwind of everything that went wrong in 2018. But the questions that we were asking ourselves after the 2017 season going into 2018, would it be better with T. Martin having the full reins, not having the split play calling thing, not having the question marks over who was handling what? Um, the, the We, we kind of got our answer. We kind of got our answer. Tyson Helton, his concepts for that offense certainly were a net positive just based on what the offense looked like without him in there and I think we we sort of the narrative that that got turned into was well T Martin was just not a good offensive coordinator but I don't think we spent enough time thinking about because the Sam Darnold thing is so easy to to go along with and also I will say it's like you and I have always been very careful to to talk about it's not just Sam Darnold, it's Deontay Burnett, it's Ronald Jones. 
it's many, you know, several of those guys who were involved in, in making that offense tick. Um, but Tyson Helton was one of the guys who made that offense tick as well as it. And it didn't even tick that well in 2017. That's the problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> but certainly much better than 2018. So I want to go back to a tweet that I tweeted in October. Are we about to see uh, Michael Michael pats himself on the back? A little bit, a little bit. I said, in 2016, Tyson Helton left WKU to become USC's pass game coordinator and quarterback coach. These are some passing-only metrics. In 2015, USC, USC, again, USC, was 31st in S&P Plus and 40th in passing success rate. Western Kentucky was first and fourth overall, by the way, of 120 whatever teams it was in 2015. In 2016, Tyson's first year at USC, SC was third and sixth. In 2017, Tyson's second and final year, SC was 10th and 60th. Without Tyson Helton in 2018, USC was 60th in passing success rate. Tennessee, uh, in passing S&P Plus uh, in the the end of October, was 4th in the country in S&P Plus, passing S&P Plus. Now, Tyson got fired after one year at Tennessee, and Tennessee fans did not necessarily like him. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Tyson Helton was the greatest thing since sliced bread or anything, but I think that the limited things that he brought USC were super beneficial and did play a big factor because we saw the screens. And how many times have we said the Tyson Helton screens were way better the, than, the, than the T. Martin the screens? The play design in 2017 was objectively better than 2018. In, yeah, in 2016 and 2017, they were so much better under Tyson Helton. Uh, when he was around and those things kind of went away um, because the designs last year for play the play design last year wasn't good. Uh, So many plays were seemingly designed to make a man do everything rather than draw it up to make life easier for the players. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's where I think, again, like you pointed out at Tennessee, Tyson Helton didn't exactly set the world on fire, but he had a few good ideas that, that went to work for USC. And, you know, I, I'm willing to give him that credit now, even though, like I said, like the 2017 offense wasn't, was, it was, it was hanging on by a thread, uh, by the, by the thread of the talent that was Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones and a couple other guys. But yeah, you see the difference for sure. Yeah. And I will say that the, Part of the thing is, it's not just 2017 to 2018. Um, there was there was a little bit of a drop off from 2016 and 2017. It's part of there was no juju anymore. Um, the offensive line was really good in 2016. I don't think anyone ever gives them credit. Uh, Banner and Wheeler and uh, Damian Mama, those guys leaving after 2016 was bad for USC in 2017. So the offensive line got worse in 2017. Um, which made it harder for Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold forced more things because he had more responsibilities in 2017. And then you get in 2018, now there's no Sam Darnold, A. Now there's no Ronald Jones, B. Now there's the offensive line has gotten even worse, C. Uh, you have a brand new quarterback, D, who who is a true freshman. forcing up, a, a true freshman who's, who's just lobbing up passes to his talented playmakers like, 
thing it was a, a confluence of bad things i i think it's reductionist to to say that it was all sam darnold and i think it's asinine to everyone else involved i think it's really asinine to ronald jones to say that it was just sam darnold that was the reason sc was good under clay helton not just on offense and i know this question is about offense but it's asinine to ronald jones to lieutenant Owosu, to Juju smith schuster to adore jackson to Zach Banner, to Chad Wheeler, to Damian Mama, to Stevie Tuikolavatu, to Rasheem Green, to Porter Gustin, to Cam Smith. It is absolutely asinine to say that SC only won because of Sam Darnold. Get the hell out of here with that garbage. It's not true. It's it's a complex world. It's a complex world. It's not black and white. Yeah, people, pe- but people do like things to be boiled down to one simple thing, like... Sam Darnold won all the games or Clay Helton sucks or this out of the other thing when every, you know, all of these things, it's a very, very complex puzzle. And yeah, sometimes there is a really, really big piece that is key to everything. And Sam Darnold was one of those pieces. But there's a lot of other things that happened between 2017 and 2018 to contribute to what happened between those years. And a lot of things happened in 2016 to contribute to the way that season played out as well. So like, Mm -hmm. you know. Let's not be reductionist. Let's let's take everything in the context of the, the full picture and where we need to look back and fill in things that maybe we neglected to mention at the time, like, for instance, the Tyson Hilton thing. Then, yeah, let's let's add that back to the puzzle. But it, it is still one component in a very, very large and complex ecosystem that goes into the results of a season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, things that are not so uh, so gray and complex that you guys should be members of our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, where you can subscribe and get all, our, all of our bonus episodes. That's pretty black and white to me. Pretty easy decision for you guys to make. Listen to all of our bonus episodes, including takes with Jake coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to do some more Rockbot's choices. Alicia's just plowing away at these throwback Thursdays and second and short, her, her solo pod. A lot of stuff hitting you over there. Uh, patreon.com slash reign of try where you can subscribe for as little as 555 a month or 10 bucks and you can join our slack community as we talk about usc football 24 7 whenever you guys want to talk to us about usc football we're there and so are you other usc fans who are in the rot crew uh you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts and stitcher tune in overcast google play and spreaker phone number 213 373-1872 our email address for questions for anything for ad inquiries for whatever you want to talk to us about reign of troy at fansided.com alicia that's going to wrap up our episode give us a final word the final word is context as in this podcast is a fan of context in all things and remember folks when you control the mail, you control information. Yeah. <laughs> remember the context and remember the source. <laughs> and, you know, going back to that whole narrative thing, like, the thing that drives me up a wall, and it's not just about sports, it's about politics, it's about life. People believe what they want to believe regardless of the source. Like, Preach. people love to say... I will not read a, a story with an anonymous source. People love to say this, right? If it's about something they don't like. If it's about something they like, they couldn't give a damn who that source is. 
Yep. For, it, for it, instance, it's a mailman. Sounds good to me. If, but yet, here's another story combating what they think. Oh, well, it's an anonymous source. If they won't go on the record, then I'm not going to believe it. If Well, you just believed a mailman. If you're a, Supposedly a mailman. If you're a USC fan who wants Urban Meyer to be your head coach, you love the Zach Smith story. If you're a USC fan who doesn't want Urban Meyer to be your head coach, you're sitting there going like, oh, Zach, Zach Smith, he's not... not it's just some random mailman, all this kind of stuff. Like, no. Just just consider the sources, guys. Consider or just take it for what it is, for what it is, and yeah, consider the source and look at it from an objective perspective. Try. Try to be objective, at least. That's, that's my thing is, I'm a big believer in, uh, it's very difficult to actually be truly obje- uh, objective. Like, it's very difficult, and often it's best to put your biases on the table and just... I mean, that's what I always do. I constantly am saying, like, here's my bias. I love my metal pay I'm going to tell you why I think he's awesome, but know where my bias is coming from, right? Um, but I also try to strike a balance. I make an effort to strike a balance. I try to balance out my, my biases wherever they come, where I can. So, so uh, I think it's a decent way to live. So that's another final word. Try. Yeah. Try not to suck. As, uh... <laughs> Joe Madden would say. Yeah, I like it. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.